Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. I am Kyle Chittock, and you may notice at the beginning of every episode, I share a little tidbit about myself that has nothing to do with electric bikes. That's just so you can get to know me a little bit better. Welcome back for episode number two for the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Let's get to it. Electric bikes seem pretty new. Now, if you listen to episode number one, you'll know that the first patent for an electric bike was way back in 1895. But as far as e-bikes that have been on the market that you can actually buy that are practical, that is something that is really just starting to take off. And it's just happened within the last few years. And there's changes happening all the time. And if you are confused about specifications on e-bikes, what wattage labels mean, what all these battery specifications mean, what's a mid-drive, what's a hub motor, you are definitely not alone. It's kind of a hectic thing these days. E-bikes are, and they can be, confusing, but they don't have to be. One of my goals is to make e-bikes more understandable, less confusing, basically so you can cut through all of the marketing junk and fluff that's out there and understand what it is you're actually getting. If you want to buy an e-bike, how do you know what to look for? One of the most popular videos I released on YouTube last year in 2019 was called 10 Things You Should Know Before You Buy an E-Bike. And if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel or seen that, you can definitely go do that. I highly recommend it. But I wanted to give you a chance on the podcast to learn some of those things as well. Now, rather than covering 10, because I feel like that's a little bit hard to remember if you don't have a pen and paper handy, don't worry, we're not going to cover that many. I just want to give you my top five. Here is a simple breakdown of my opinion on the top five things you should know before you buy an electric bike. And if you already have an electric bike, that's okay. Hopefully you will learn something anyway. Let's get to it. What are these top five things and how do you decide? There are so many choices out there. Now, the first thing that I think is the most important and it's what's talked about the most is the power. In other words, how many watts, how fast does it go? There's kind of two questions people usually ask first. One is how fast will it go? Second one is how far can it go? So we're going to cover the one that is how fast can it go first? Now, this depends a little bit on your location. Now, hopefully we have listeners all over the world. If you're in Europe, the maximum wattage you can have on an electric bike is 250 watts. I'm sorry, <laughs> because over here in the U.S., we get up to 750 watts in most areas. So, yes, we get three times as much power. So this is more geared towards those levels of power, but we're going to explain them all and what those mean. And the best thing you could do, honestly, is go find an e-bike somewhere, find a friend who has one, a neighbor, and just get on it and ride the thing because nothing can surpass the experience of actually riding one. But obviously you're listening to a podcast, probably not something you can do right this second. So I'm going to do my best to explain what these different power levels mean. So 250 watts, what in the world does that even mean? How do you put that into any context? Well, if we compare that to a cyclist, 250 watts is actually quite a bit of power. That's the amount that a more professional, in-shape cyclist 
could maintain on a ride. So if you've only got a 250 watt motor, it's like having another person on the bike with you pedaling, but that weight and all their gross sweat is not there. (laughs) So a 250 watt bike is a significant boost, a significant amount of help over a traditional bicycle. If anybody tries to tell you that, oh, e-bikes are too heavy, they can't overcome their own weight, they haven't ridden one, and they don't know what they're talking about. So you don't need to listen to that kind of negativity. 250 watts, that's generally the starting point. I've never seen an e-bike with anything less, and if it had less, it probably wouldn't make sense. So 250 watts, that's the lowest level that you'll normally see, also the maximum in certain countries, but in the U.S., it goes up from there. Now, 250 watts is enough on most e-bikes that it's going to help you up hills, but don't expect it to do all of the work for you. If you're going up a steep hill or something like that, you're going to have to pedal. It's not enough power to carry you along just throttle only. So that gives you an idea. It's more of an assist. It helps you, but it's not going to totally take over and do the work for you. Now, there are some 350-watt motors out there as well, so that's just a slight bump up in power, so a little bit more help, but still, if you're going up a lot of hills, you're going to have to be putting in some effort to make it up. And of course, e-bikes are not to just hit the throttle and go, generally speaking. Most people buying them do want to pedal. They do want some exercise. So if you just want a little bit of help, maybe a 250 or a 350-watt bike might make sense. Now, jumping up from there, Typically, we go to 500 watts, and a 500-watt motor tends to give you the ability to go up those hills where basically they start to melt away. They're not totally gone, but when you have 500 watts of power, so double the 250, you can get up any hill. You can be more confident that you're going to make it up any type of terrain that you're going to come across, and you're not going to get winded or tired or overexert yourself if you have a 500 watt motor. It's definitely going to help. 500 watts is enough that if you're on flat ground or just mild hills, if it has a throttle, which some e-bikes do, and we'll get into that a little bit more in detail later, that you could just push that button and just go without pedaling and the bike will carry you along quite easily. Now that reduces range, that gets into batteries, we'll talk about that later. But that just gives you an idea of what a 500 watt motor is capable of. Now we jump up to kind of the big guns because this is the maximum legal wattage in many states in the U.S. So there's federal laws, there's also state laws, and they're starting to come together, but there's still a lot of places that have different specifications, and we'll get into that in a bit too. But 750 watts, what does that power feel like? If you hop on a bicycle with 750 watts, You can just imagine you push the throttle or start pedaling, and it takes off. It is like it's pushing you from behind. You've got a huge tailwind behind you. Uh, Somebody's running alongside and pushing you on the back. Just imagine something just briskly taking you away, and that has enough power that it can realistically go up most hills. Even if you're not pedaling, you can be as lazy as you want to with a 750-watt motor. 750 watts, in my opinion, is awesome. Now, wattage doesn't mean everything. There's still a lot of confusion on the marketplace because not every manufacturer gives you the same number when it comes to wattage. 
What I mean by that is some might say this is a 750 watt bike and that's like the peak, the most power it can put out, but it's usually running more like 500 watts. Other e-bike companies will underrate their bikes and say, oh, this is a 500 watt bike and it really peaks at 750 watts. So you literally can have one e-bike that's 500 watts and it's faster than another that's 750 watts. So just bear in mind that these are basic guidelines But when it comes to what's on the market, what's for sale, some people inflate the numbers and some people are more honest with them. That's just unfortunate. Eventually, those things are going to be found out and people are going to be aware. But e-bikes are so new. There's so many new companies popping out every day. Just be aware and just know what you're buying. And if at all possible, take a test ride if you can. Hopefully you can. If not, just do your due diligence, do your research. So number two on this list, now that we've got kind of a vague idea of how much power bikes have and what that means, there are three basic types of motors. We could break it down into two and simplify it quite a bit, but I'm going to say there's three because there's three that are the most common. There might be some other odd things out there that aren't kind of mainstream, and I don't think we need to get into those. The most common motor that I see on electric bikes today is a geared hub motor. So what in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, a hub motor means that the motor is in the rear hub, so in the rear wheel, typically. Sometimes they can be in the front wheel as well, but usually you're going to see them in the back. Now, if you say geared hub motor, that means that the motor has internal gears, typically what they call planetary gears, and they basically take the RPM of the motor and reduce it down so that way you have more torque. Now, a 5 to 1 reduction ratio is a typical number for a lot of motors. And what that means is that the motor spins five times for the wheel to only spin once. So basically, the motor can spool up and you get more torque out of it. And because of that, the motors can be smaller, a bit lighter, and they can also look a little bit sleeker the way that they fit into a rear wheel. So sometimes a hub motor can be so small you don't even realize it's an electric bike. Now, the other type of a hub motor, which is not as common these days, is a direct drive. That means for one revolution of the motor, you get one revolution of the rear wheel. So as a general rule, that means you're going to have less torque, but you might have a higher top speed at the same battery voltage or amount of power. So less torque, higher top speed with a direct drive hub motor. Now, is there a disadvantage or advantage to one or the other aside from kind of their speed profile, if you say? And absolutely there is. The direct drive is going to be bigger in diameter, going to be more obvious that it's an e-bike. They're typically heavier. The one advantage that they have, however, is that they can do something called regenerative braking. So because the motor axle and the motor and everything is basically fixed all together, the motor is always spinning when the wheel is spinning. Now that means you have a little bit of drag at all times, but when you hit the brakes, you can activate a regen function. So you're basically using the motor at that point as a generator to put power back into the battery. Now that may sound totally awesome and like, why wouldn't you have that on every e-bike? At first, but when you start digging into the efficiencies of electric motors and e-bikes, 
it's not as good as it seems at first. The most I've ever seen, and I plan on doing some more detailed tests on my YouTube channel later this year, but the most I've seen reported by anyone is about 10% extension on your range. So you could get a little bit further, but it depends on the bike. In my opinion, the one place where a direct drive hub motor has a better advantage is on bigger, heavier bikes where you have more weight that needs to be slowed down, not because of the power factor that you're getting some of the energy back, but simply because it's helping you slow down. I once had a big heavy bike. It was full suspension. It had a big 2000 watt hub motor on it. It was direct drive and the brakes on it, even though they were good hydraulic brakes and I had these big rotors on it, they just weren't quite sufficient. So I adjusted the regenerative braking function to help slow the bike down. Now that bike had a huge battery. It weighed probably like 100 pounds. This thing was massive. It was not your typical e-bike. So in that instance, the direct drive motor made sense. But on most e-bikes, the way they are, the weights that they're at, a geared hub motor with the additional torque is usually actually more efficient. They climb hills better. They're lighter. So that's why you'll see more of the geared hub motors on e-bikes than you will see direct drives these days. Or you might see direct drive motors on more powerful, bigger, heavier bikes where they need some extra help to slow down. And occasionally you might see them on a cargo bike because you're expected to be carrying a load around. It's helpful for slowing down. Now there are some exceptions. There's a few companies out there starting to release geared hub motors that also have kind of a clutch mechanism that can be enabled to give you the regen function. So that's pretty exciting that there's kind of this hybrid coming out. That's not very common yet. I probably wouldn't look for a bike with that because it hasn't really been tested a whole lot or proven. We don't really know what the reliability of something like that's going to be. I did a test with a motor like that recently and it didn't really do much to the range. So was it worth it? Mm, It might not even be noticeable at this point. Motors are always changing, e-bikes are always changing. Hopefully we'll see some advancements to where those really make sense. But the most common thing you're going to see is a geared hub motor. They work well and they do good things. So those are the two different types of hub motors. Now that we got those out of the way, what's the third one? Well, next we have a mid-drive motor. Mid being kind of middle or mid-mounted. And basically what that means is that you have a motor up by the cranks, up by the pedals. And instead of turning the rear wheel directly from inside the hub, that motor is turning your front sprocket. It's turning that gear up by your pedals, and it's providing power through your chain back to your rear derailleur. So why would you want a mid-drive motor versus a hub motor? And there's a couple of different reasons, and there's a couple of advantages. The mid-drive motor, being that it operates your chain, means that you can shift through gears. So that means you can use your rear derailleur or a rear internal hub shifter if you've got one. Basically, you can use the existing bicycle gears to get more torque when you're coming up to a hill, or you can get a higher top speed on a flat or a downhill stretch. To give you an example as to how this might be an advantage, if you had, say, a 500-watt bike with a hub motor and a 500-watt bike with a mid-drive, well, the mid-drive bike could shift down into a lower gear and pass the other guy on a hill. And then when you get to a flat stretch, he could shift into a high gear and then pass the hub motor guys again using the speed in a different way. So you can kind of think of it as having a wider range of power, a wider range of speed 
when you can use those extra gears. Now, the main disadvantage is going to be wear and tear and cost. Typically, mid-drive motors cost more up front. So bicycles that have a mid-drive motor are going to bring a bigger price with them. And then because you're running all of that power through your chain and derailleur and gears, there's going to be a bit more wear and tear on your drivetrain in the long run. Is that a deal breaker? To me personally, no, but it's just something to be aware of. Now, the other advantage you'll see is that a mid-drive motor has the weight and kind of that, basically the weight of the motor is more centered in the bike as opposed to the rear wheel. So on full suspension bikes, on mountain bikes, on things that are more trail-oriented, more performance-oriented, you'll see more mid-drives than you will rear hub motors because they tend to handle better. If you're riding on the street or just light bike paths, you're probably not going to notice the difference. But if you're looking for something to just go crazy on the trails with, then a mid-drive motor definitely can have an advantage. Now, one thing I didn't talk about is there are definitely motors out there that have more than 750 watts, whether hub motors or mid-drives. Yes, those are available. I even may have some at boltonebikes.com. Just be aware that you have to be smart and obey local laws. (laughs) And if you want to know what my personal preference is, some people ask me, what motor is better? Just tell me. I just have to say, it depends. What are you going to use the bike for? And that's different for everybody. I personally have a bike with a 1,000 watts. It peaks at about 1,400 watts. And I like that mid-drive motor because I like the power. I like to ride off-road. I'll be riding off-road on trails that are not well-traveled and just kind of take it easy on the streets and limit my speed and power to basically obey the speed limits and things and be smart about it. And if you want to, on a bike like that, you can always limit the power through the programming or the top speed to comply with local laws. So if you need to do that, just be aware that you certainly can. Now, on my wife's bike, that bike has a hub motor because she prefers something simpler, easier to use, and doesn't have to worry about the chain or how to shift properly or any of that. I generally say if you want something simple and reliable, go with a hub motor. If you want maximum performance, then typically I would recommend a mid-drive. Now, with those types of motors, there's different ways to make that motor run. Number three on this list of top five things I want to talk about the pedal assist types and what that means. You'll hear that term pedal assist bikes when people talk about electric bikes. And there's two ways to make that motor actually turn. There's a pedal assist, which basically is what it sounds like. When you pedal, the motor assists you. So if you're not pedaling, the motor's not running. And the two different types of pedal assist that exist are a cadence sensor. And cadence refers to how many times you're actually cranking those pedals around. So a cadence sensor is detecting when you're pedaling, and it may be able to detect how fast, but it doesn't know how hard you're pedaling. So effectively, as soon as you start pedaling, the motor kicks on, and you have a button typically on the handlebars or on a screen up on the handlebars where you can turn the power up and down. So there's usually levels like zero through five is most common on e-bikes. So if you want a little bit of power, you turn it to one. If you start getting to a hill, you can turn it to number two and turn the power up a little bit and so on. Now, the other type is called a torque sensor, and that type can detect how hard you're pedaling. So if you're coming up to a hill and you want more power, you can pedal harder. The bike senses that you're pedaling harder and then adds more power in 
basically just gives you kind of a superhuman, superman type of feeling. Like you are stronger than you actually are. Now, is one better than the other? Typically, you'll see a torque sensor on more expensive bikes, on more advanced models. Is it necessarily better? I can't say that it is. And I only say that because I have had customers who've tried a torque sensing bike, and I've had people tell me that they actually didn't like it, and they preferred the cadence sensor. One isn't necessarily better. Usually people refer to the torque sensor as kind of the better of the two, but it's still a personal preference. So just be aware that that's one of those things where you may look at a bike that has a cadence sensor and one that has a torque sensor and want to decide the torque sensing worth the money. And I would say go ride one of those and decide for yourself if it makes sense to spend more money on a bike that has it because you may not care once you experience the difference between the two. Now, number four on this list, there's kind of a couple different topics I want to cover, but number four, the second way to make the motor go is a throttle. Now, not all e-bikes have a throttle, and this is a big one. Some people could care less if you have a throttle. Some people will never even consider a bike if it doesn't have a throttle. So I would highly recommend this is something you look into, test ride bikes if you can, and figure out which type you want. Because if you want a throttle, that's going to narrow down your choices for electric bikes significantly. There are many, many pedal assist bikes on the market that don't have a throttle. In fact, most of the big name brands you're going to find like Yamaha, Giant, Specialized, typically those will not have a throttle and be pedal assist only bikes. So why would you want a bike that doesn't have a throttle? Because basically it can just sit there and live on the handlebars. And you don't ever have to use it. You can always just use the pedal assist and the throttle is there if you want it. Well, the reason that most bikes of the higher end and different things don't come with a throttle is to comply with local laws. So in many states, just a few years ago, it was only one state and then it was two. And I could go check the numbers, but it's dozens of states have now adopted this same law. And it's basically a classification of electric bikes. So you have a class one class two, and class three. So let's start with the class one e-bike, and what does that mean? A class one is limited to 20 miles an hour, top speed. Now, that doesn't mean that the bike can't go faster than 20 miles an hour. It just means it's not going to help you go faster than 20 miles an hour. So effectively, the motor cuts off at 20. If you go any faster than that, it's because of your own pedaling, or perhaps you're going downhill. Now, there are trails in certain parts of the country where they'll actually put a sign up saying class one e-bikes only. So what they want to see is bikes that are limited to 20 miles an hour. And basically, they're just trying to keep people from going too fast and tearing up the trails or the roads too much in certain areas. Now, if we go to a class two e-bike, now you're allowed to have a throttle, but you still have the same 20 mile an hour speed limit. So just be aware that class two, you can have a throttle but you're going to have the same limitation on speed. And so most e-bikes that you buy are going to be limited to 20 miles per hour. Now, what if you want to go faster than that? Is there an option? Well, sort of. There's a class three. Now your speed limit jumps up to 28 miles per hour. So you can go faster, but you can't have a throttle again. So if you want to go 28 miles per hour, throttle only, there are bikes on the market that will do that but that's not a legal class. So 
you need to check your local state laws or city laws and see if they have any regulations on classes of e-bikes. But this is something that's growing, and I expect that eventually all 50 states are probably going to be operating on these same three classes. Now, is there anything above a class three? What happens if you make an e-bike that has a throttle and it goes 30 miles an hour or 35? Well, there isn't anything above that. I think that at some point there probably will be because there's this very odd situation where there are definitely e-bikes that exist and more and more coming out that are kind of in between what's now a motorcycle or in between a moped and a bicycle. But currently there's no law, no legislation in place for that. So generally speaking, you cannot take a bike that has more power than that and put like a license plate on it, for example. It's not a legal road-going vehicle because then usually you need DOT-approved tires and turn signals. So then you start getting into a whole another mess of things. So just be aware of that. Check your local laws. But there's class one. If you buy one of those, you're pretty much guaranteed to go on any trails throughout the country that are open to electric bikes. Class two, it's possible you could be restricted more, but it depends on the area. Where I'm at, no one's paying attention to anything here in Northern California yet. So I personally don't worry about it too much. But I want you to know that those are out there. And if you want to throttle, you're going to have a class two electric bike. So jumping on to the next thing, we've talked about the power. We've talked about what kind of motors there are. We've talked about how to make those motors work. Now, once you've got all that going, how far can you go? Well, that's going to depend on the battery. Now, I'm going to have to say this up front. I said this in my video on YouTube. It was the number 10 thing or the number one thing. It was, it was on one end of the list. It was at the end. But I'm going to say it right here when I first start talking about batteries and range. Whatever you do, do not believe any claims you see about range on the internet from different companies. Now, why would I tell you not to believe the range? Well, it's because I've seen some ridiculous numbers. I recently tested a bike on my YouTube channel, and they claimed a range of 50 to 80 miles, and the battery just seemed too small for that. It did not seem realistic. So when I did the review, I made sure to ride it until the battery died to see how many miles I could get out of it. And I got a range that was right in line with what I expected. I went 26 miles before the battery died. So I got just over half of the range they claimed. And I see this so often, I don't know why people do it. I guess they just think, oh, we can claim this range and more people will buy our bike but they're not going to be happy with it. And I don't want you to buy an electric bike and be unhappy. So let's explain what batteries mean, what these numbers mean. First of all, there's different voltages. There's 36 volts. Usually you'll see that on those 250 watt or 350 watt bikes. There's 48 volts, which is the most common voltage you'll see on electric bikes. And then occasionally you'll see something with a 52 volt battery. So just a little bit more than 48. But 48 is going to be the most common. Now, 48 volts tells you absolutely nothing about the range of a bicycle. All that does is tell you the voltage. Now, voltage does determine, in a way, how fast an electric bike can go. There's a formula you can use, but it depends on the motor and the gearing, whether it's a hub motor, direct drive. All of those other factors play into that. So, 48-volt bikes can have a wide range of speeds and a wide range of power. But how do you figure out how far they're going to go? Well, you need a second number to figure that out, and that is the amp hours. So on every battery, 
there is going to be a label of some sort that tells you what the capacity is. And there are two different ways they can be labeled. And this is common between different manufacturers to give you different numbers. And it can be confusing and it's kind of hard to figure out, well, which battery is bigger? This one says it's 500 watt hours. This one says it's 48 volts and 10 amp hours. They're using totally different numbers. Well, they mean the same thing. They're just presented in a different way. A 48 volt, 10 amp hour battery to figure out how many watt hours that is. And in theory, if you had a 500 watt hour battery, that means you could draw 500 watts of power from the motor from for one hour before the battery would die. So that's what the actual mathematical equation means. And that's theoretical. Don't expect that to actually be real in real life. But 48 volts, you just multiply times the amp hours. So 48 volts times 10 amp hours would equal 480 watt hours. So if a battery is labeled as a 500 watt hour, one's 48 volt 10 amp hours, one's 480 watt hours, one's 500 watt hours. Honestly, some people round up. They're probably going to be the same thing. But that gives you an idea of how to calculate that formula. Now you can also do the reverse. You can basically take a 500 watt hour battery. If it's 48 volts, you can divide by 48 and get the amp hours and just use that to calculate and kind of compare different electric bikes. Now, just to give you a ballpark, I prefer to be very conservative on ranges and I would prefer people go further than I tell them they can than the opposite. So I have a bike that has a 48 volt, 16 amp hour battery as an example and a 750 watt motor. And I would say the way most people ride it, which is a good mix of pedaling and power, maybe use the throttle on occasion, but generally they're getting some exercise, they're getting some work in, but they're using a fair amount of power that's available. With a 48 volt, 16 amp hour, I would expect conservatively a 20 to 40 mile range. Now I know that's a big range, but the factors that can play into that are the weight of the rider, how hard are you pedaling, What's the terrain like? Are you going up steep hills? Is it flat? All of those things make a difference. Now, it's possible on a battery that size, you could pedal a lot and you could go 50 or 60 miles before the battery wears out, but that's not typical of how most people use it. So I prefer to be conservative on my numbers, but just to give you a ballpark, that's where I would expect to be. So 48 volt, 16 amp hour, 20 to 40 mile range. Yeah, if you pedal more, you could get 50 or 60 out of it. And yes, you can get bigger batteries. You can get spare batteries for bikes. There are ways to go further. If you want to go 100 miles, it's likely possible. So that brings me to two other things we need to talk about. Now, one that's kind of quick is the quality of the battery. And most e-bike companies are stepping up their game, I feel like, and they're using quality cells these days. A couple years ago, I don't think that was the case. But it's still something to be aware of. If you see a bike that's really cheap, one of the places they can skimp on the quality is the battery. So how do you tell if a battery's good or not? Well, if they list what type of cells, that's usually a good indication. If you see a name brand you recognize, like Samsung or LG or Panasonic, then you're pretty safe. If they don't list what type of batteries, they could be using a cheaper Chinese cell, and that's a way to cut the cost down. So I prefer to stick to those three Typically, Panasonic is my number one choice if available. Sometimes we'll switch to Samsung, and on occasion, we've used some LG models as well. But when I say quality, I'm talking about the cells inside the battery, typically. 
There are even more detailed things we can get into batteries on, but that's more than we need to jump into at the moment. Now, the last thing about batteries you have to know is the basically the style of the battery or the case, and is it proprietary or not? This is a big thing to me. There are a lot of e-bike companies that are basically designing their own battery case. If you want a spare battery, or if you need a replacement in the future, you have to buy the battery from the company you bought the e-bike from, and there's no other option or no other battery that would fit. And this is very common. There's a company called Saunders, and originally it wasn't proprietary, and then they designed their own. The Rad Power Bikes did the same thing. They had a generic battery case, then they switched to something proprietary. Uh, a lot of the name brands, they're going to have proprietary batteries, and I've seen it with Pedego, and the list goes on and on. Now, what's the disadvantage? Well, the main thing is price and availability. If they're the only one that can sell you the battery, they can charge whatever they want. I won't name names, but it was one of those companies I mentioned before. I had someone come into my shop with an e-bike and it needed a replacement battery. They said, hey, the company said I can buy a battery. It's a 48 volt, 10 amp hour, which is not very big. And they wanted a just insane price of $1,400 for it. And I could not believe it. Now, to give you an idea, if I had a battery that size for sale on my website, it would be 400 bucks at most. So they were charging $1,400 for something that should have been around the four to $500 price range to be reasonable. That's just insane. But it was the only option that would work on the bike. Or was it? Well, in the end, what we decided to do, or what I did for him, is sold him a larger battery and... We just wired it up, did some custom wiring to hook it up. So we put a much bigger battery on for half the price. So just be aware that some e-bikes have a proprietary battery, meaning you have to buy it from them, and some you don't. You can just buy a generic battery from a variety of suppliers, install it on your bike. And if you're not worried about the price, you should be worried about availability, because I have seen that happen as well, where when an e-bike company comes out with their new models in a couple years, they may say, sorry, we don't have that battery available anymore. Here, you can buy a new bike. I don't think that's right. I think if you buy an electric bike, make that kind of investment, it should last you a good long time. I am all for keeping things affordable and easily accessible, and that just doesn't sound nice to me. There you have it. There's my top five things. Now, just to review real quickly, that's the power. How much power do you really need? How are you going to ride this bike? Do you just need a little bit of help or... Do you need to make sure that you're not going to get stuck somewhere and tired, you know, if you have a medical issue or something? That's definitely something you need to think about. The type of motor just depends on the type of simplicity or amount of power you want. The pedal assist types, again, just kind of a personal preference. The throttle, I think that's a big one. Do you want one or not? Because that's going to narrow down your choices quite a bit if you do. And lastly is kind of going into the range and the battery style and what are the right options to choose. I hope that helps you get a little bit closer to buying an e-bike if you haven't already, which speaking of which, if you are considering it, don't forget to go check out boltonebikes.com. You can check out some electric bikes there, and you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Thank you so much for listening to episode number two of the Bolton e-bikes podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Bolton e-bikes newsletter not only will I send you information on new episodes that are coming out, whether it's on the podcast or on YouTube, but if you go sign up right now, you'll also get a chance to win a free electric bike. So yes, I do give away bikes in addition to selling them, 
So if you want a chance to win one, go sign up right now. That's ebikepodcast.com. Once again, to sign up, just go to ebikepodcast.com. Thanks again. Remember to make every day an adventure. Don't crash and have fun.